Well, as many of you know, today is the 15-year anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks on our country in which 2,996 people died. And those of you who were old enough to remember that day, terrible day, terrible day, unlike uh, many, most days in our country, just a terrible, terrible day. You, you remember where you were. I mean, in fact, uh, I was... Uh, I'd gotten to the office downtown and started hearing about it and was listening to the radio. And you got to remember this was 15 years ago, so we didn't have all the access to news we do today. And I actually left and went back to the house so I could watch some of the reports on television just to start wrapping my mind around what was taking place. And I spent most of that day on the telephone talking to pastors and different media outlets in our community. And we organized a community-wide prayer gathering that evening of 9-11 in our sanctuary downtown. And the place was packed. You know, the downstairs was packed. The balcony was packed. And we just spent an hour as a community praying to the Lord because everybody was just, you know, numb and, and hurting. How many of you were, were any of you, how many of you were there for that prayer meeting that evening at, on 9-11 downtown? Some of you were. The place was just packed and we, we spent that hour just praying, uh, because everyone was, was just in shock. We were all stunned. And the following Sunday, churches all across America were packed. I mean, they were filled to the brim. And uh, that was that was a good thing that came out of a horrible tragedy, but uh, that uptick, that upsurge, if you will, in attendance didn't last, did it? Because uh, unless there's a genuine heart change, nothing ultimately lasts. And so today, across America, people are remembering those attacks, and and uh, in New York City this morning, there there's an event planned. And but back 15 years ago. The president of the American Atheists said this was a wake-up call to America telling us there is no God. She said, where was he? On a coffee break? Do you know where God was the morning of 9-11? How many people do you think in total worked in the World Trade Center, in those towers, the Pentagon, how many people, if you add all those together, along with all the people that could have been passengers on those four airplanes, the two that crashed into the towers, the one that crashed into the Pentagon, and the one that the passengers took over and crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. When you add up the numbers of people who seats on those planes, the, the, the number of people who worked at the Trade Center, the number of people who worked at the Pentagon, do you know how many people could have been involved? More than 75,000. Do you know how many died? Just less than 3,000. 3,000 too many. But the difference in those two numbers tells us where God was, doesn't it? And people who have eyes to see can see the truth. Sin deceives and arrogance blinds people to what God is doing in this world. The plane that hit the North Tower had 158 seats, yet carried only 81 passengers. The plane that flew into the South Tower had 168 seats, yet carried only 56 passengers. The plane that crashed into the Pentagon had 176 seats, yet carried only 58 passengers. The plane that crashed in the field in Pennsylvania had 182 seats, 
and yet carried only 37 passengers. That's where God was. God, many times in life, is protecting us when we don't even know it. Even in the midst of tragedy, when he's trying at times to get our attention. You remember one of the most iconic images from that day and the weeks after was that that cross. When the North Tower fell, it just created a a massive cavity in the ground and and there were these two steel beams in the shape of a cross about 18 feet tall just embedded in the destruction there was a construction worker an iron worker named frank who a couple of days after the tragedy after removing three bodies found that cross and he named that place god's house He said when he first saw it, he just fell on his knees and broke out in tears and began praying because it brought hope to his heart in the midst of hopelessness. He took a can of spray paint. And on some of the places around, he he, he spray painted God's house and then arrows pointing people to it. And over the days to follow, people would go there to reflect, to rest, to pray, to cry. Barbara Walters showed up one day at Ground Zero with her niece who lost a son in the towers. And Frank was showing her around. And she said to him at one point in their conversation, how can you tell me God's here? He took her to the cross and everything changed. That cross today is a permanent fixture in the 9-11 memorial and museum in new york city but it only became a part of the museum after a court battle because the american atheists sued in court to prevent the cross from being part of the museum and this is one of the rare occasions in recent times when the courts ruled in favor of common sense listen to me America needs God perhaps now more than ever. But more and more America is saying we don't need God. And God has a message for our country. God has a message for us, for me and you. And over the next several weeks I'm going to preach from what we refer to as the minor prophets. The last 12 books of your Old Testament. Most of us have never studied the minor prophets. Maybe a little bit in Amos, maybe a little bit in Jonah. We don't even know what most of them are. Minor does not mean they're unimportant. They're called minor prophets traditionally because their books are shorter. They're not as big. The major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel, big books, a lot of chapters. The minor prophets, the last 12 books of the Old Testament, Obadiah, the one we're going to look at today, is just one chapter. These prophets, these books are briefer, they're shorter, and thus they're called the the minor prophets. And I have to tell you, when when I started feeling God leading me to preach on the minor prophets, I wasn't sure why. I know why now. Because their message is more relevant for where we are as a people today than perhaps any time in our nation's history. And I want us to hear from God. Because we need to hear it. And it's not just the people out there. It's the people in here. It's us. It's me. It's you. 
We all need to hear what God has to say to us. Now, if you can't find Obadiah, just flip through those last 12 books of the Bible of the Old Testament. He's between Amos and Jonah. Amos and Jonah, the book of Obadiah. Now, he lived about 850 years ago before Jesus, rather, 850 years before Christ. So this book has been written, it's been around a long, long time. And we really don't know anything else about him other than he was a prophet that lived during that era and he wrote this prophecy, this particular book. And what God gave Obadiah was a message of judgment against the nation of Edom. He's not preaching to Israel. He's preaching to a a contiguous country. He's preaching to the nation of Edom. And, and his message to Edom, I think, speaks to a lot of what is going on in America today. And that's the point I want to make in today's sermon from the book of Obadiah. Now, why, why, why do I say that Obadiah's message is so relevant to America today? It's because Edom was guilty of two specific sins. One was an arrogance that said they didn't need God. Does that sound like America? The second was the sin of mistreating the people of God. That increasingly is America where there's no place for the people of God who believe the word of God. And the result was the nation of Edom was moved from under the favor of God even though they were blood kin to the Jewish people and became people who were under the judgment of God. And that's my great fear for America. So what we're going to do this morning is look a little closer at their two sins and the results of it and ask God to speak to our hearts and maybe inform us how to better live as Christians in this country and how to pray for our nation. And so let's begin by looking at those two sins, the arrogance that caused them to say they didn't need God because the Bible teaches that pride goes before what? A fall. Arrogance always leads. Arrogance and pride says, I don't need God. There's no place for God. We don't want God. Always leads to a ruinous future, a great fall. So let's pick it up in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, And let us go against her for battle. God is bringing a word of warning, a word of judgment to the people of Edom through the prophet Obadiah. Now Edom, as you see on the screen, was a country just to the south and a little bit to the east of Judah. Israel had already gone through its civil war after the death of Solomon and divided into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And Edom was to the south of Judah. Look at verse 2. He says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you will be greatly despised. Then verse 3, The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock and the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? God says, I'm going to judge you. You're so proud, you're so arrogant, you don't think you can ever lose a military conflict. But I'm going to bring you down. One of the reasons they were, they were so confident and so cocky and thought they didn't need God was Edom is in, in the hill country. 
Some of you remember from the Indiana Jones movies. You remember that iconic scene from the Indiana Jones movie? That's Petra, the, what was in ancient times, Selah, the capital of Edom. And it's this rough terrain, this very mountainous region. And by the way, the only way you can get to their capital is through a narrow gorge that averages about 15 feet wide and is very, very tall. Those mountains rise up to 5,000 feet. And over the years, over the centuries, they were safe because armies couldn't attack them. They could live there in security and send raiding parties out to attack caravans because one of the major highways, one of the major trade routes crossed through their country and you'd have to pay tribute to get through it. And so they had money and they had military security and they felt like, wow, we've got it together. We're safe and we're secure living in this these mountains. For centuries, no one defeated them. Look at verse 7. He talks about the men who are allied with them, at peace with you. They had all of these political alliances with other nations. And in history, whenever other nations would attack Israel, would attack Judah, Edom would cooperate with them. They were always in treaties with other countries. And they said, look, nobody can get to us in these mountains. We're safe. We have all of these political arrangements with other nations. We're safe. We've got it together. And verse 9, he talks about their wise men. Edom was known for wisdom. Do you know that in the story of Job, which is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, when Job was suffering, his three friends came to him, and they thought they were so smart trying to give Job all that advice. Do you know where they were from? Edom. So here's here's a nation that says, we've got the smartest people in the world. We've, We've got smart leaders. We have all of these political alliances with, with other nations that, that will protect us. We've got the Atlantic Ocean on one side and the Pacific Ocean on the other side. Nobody can get to us. We're in these mountains. It's impenetrable. We're safe. We're secure. Does that ever sound like us? We're smart. We're the world leader. Strongest military. We're safe. We're secure. And the Bible says in verse 3, the arrogance of your heart has what? What does it say, church? Deceived you. Because when you think like this, you say, we don't need God. We push him away. We can handle whatever comes. What was the great sin of Satan when he rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven? What was it, church? Pride. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14. He said, I will ascend. Above the clouds, the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like whom? I'm in charge. The master of my own destiny. Pride. Sounds like us. Sounds like our nation. But what about the mistreating of God's people? You see, Edom had a long history of opposing the Jewish people. 
even though they were relatives, so to speak, blood kin. You see, the story of Edom goes back to Genesis 25 when Isaac, one of the patriarchs, and his wife Rebekah gave birth to twin boys. Jacob, who became the patriarch, through whom the 12 tribes were born, the nation of Israel. What was his brother's name? Edom is often called in the Bible by the name Esau. Do you know where Esau, after his strained relationship with his brother, came to a head? Do you know where Esau moved to? It was this mountainous region that we're referring to today as Edom. And his descendants became the nation of Edom. When Moses was leading the Hebrew people from freedom after centuries of slavery in Egypt, the great Exodus experience in Numbers chapter 14, Moses is leading them to the promised land and they want to travel south to north on what is called the King's Highway. The King's Highway is that dotted line running up the screen that goes through Edom by Petra. It was this highway, this, this famous trade route between Egypt and Syria. It was the source of wealth for Edom as people paid tolls and tributes to pass through their nation. Moses in Numbers 14 sent word to the kingdom of Edom saying, we'd like to travel through your country on the king's highway. We'll not go to the left. We'll not go to the right. We won't eat any of the food. We won't drink any of the water. We just want to pass through. We won't stay. We just want to pass through. And the king of Edom said, absolutely not. Moses sent a second message, same thing. This time the king of Edom sent out his army and said, absolutely not. In the centuries that followed, whenever a nation attacked Israel, attacked Judah, the nation of Edom supported those nations. Look at verse verse 10. Of Obadiah, because of violence to your brother Jacob, your blood kin, these two nations descended from brothers, from twins. In Deuteronomy, God told the people of Israel to not hold any vengeance toward the people of Edom because they were brothers. Because of your violence, in verse 10, to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. God says, I'm going to judge you because of the violence you have historically done to the people of God. And when Obadiah got this word from God in about 850 B.C., according to the book of Chronicles, there was a coalition of Philistines and Arabs that attacked Jerusalem and conquered it looted the palace, carried away many Israelis as slaves. Do you know where some of those slaves ended up? 
Edom. In those same verses, Edom was in rebellion against Israel, against Judah. They supported this attack against Jerusalem. And that's what Obadiah is dealing with. And he says several things about their behavior. Look with me at verse 11. He said, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. You see, they didn't necessarily take part in the initial attack on Jerusalem, but they stood there and watched it all unfold. They stood aloof. Rather than helping their relatives, they just stood back and watched Jerusalem fall. Watched the Arabs and the Philistines carry out the wealth and many of the people of Jerusalem. See, sometimes it's not what we do that God holds us responsible for. It's what we don't do when we just stand idly by and watch someone take advantage of someone else. They stood aloof. Verse 12. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Wow, would you look at that? I'm so happy that happened to them. Verse 13, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. You see, they're starting to move from attitude and thinking to actual behavior because initially they just stood to the side and watched as the Arabs and Philistines destroyed Jerusalem. And then they, they took joy in it. They said, wow, isn't it, I'm, you know, they deserved that. And then they went in after them and picked up some of the remaining of the spoils and lined their own pockets. But it gets even worse. Verse 14, do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. Do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. Do you know what the Edomites did? The Jews who tried to escape the city of Jerusalem, they would capture them. And either turn them over to the Philistines, turn them over to the Arabs, or make them, we know from other parts of the Old Testament, their own slaves. And so God says... Because of your mistreatment of his people, I'm going to judge you. You know, there's a lot of controversy in our nation today over this whole transgender issue. Someone being able to use whatever restroom they want based on how they feel about their sexual identity, irregardless of their physical anatomy. And those of us who believe God created people as men and women, and any confusion is a result of our fallen sinful nature are called bigots and worse. Massachusetts has passed a bill 
that takes effect October 1, allowing a transgender person to use any restroom they want. And earlier this past week, the state's commission against discrimination said the law would apply in Massachusetts to churches. Now listen to what I said. It's going to take a court challenge to stop that in Massachusetts. Just under four years ago when President Obama was inaugurated to his second term, Louis Giglio had been invited as an evangelical pastor to pray the benediction. A few days before the inauguration, he withdrew. Not because he wanted to, but because there was this great controversy by the homosexual movement in America that back in the 1990s, Louis Giglio had preached a sermon from Scripture saying this is what the Bible says about, about that issue. And so those putting the inauguration together made all kinds of apologies and said, we only want people who are inclusive of everyone. The problem is it sounds like inclusion that includes everyone does not include those who still believe the Word of God. It's a, it's a false word in America when we say we want to include everybody because if you don't agree with an unbiblical position, you're not welcome at the table anymore. Now, I could go on with story after story. The one thing I want to say to some people is get your head out of the sand. Get your head out of the sand. Because it's only going to get worse. God knows when those who cling to his word are mistreated. America is increasingly saying we don't need God and we don't want God's people unless you deny those parts of the Bible we don't like. And in doing so, America is increasingly moving further and further away from the hand of God's blessing and God's protection and possibly moving under the hand of God's judgment. And the truth is, God's judgment can never be avoided without repentance. God said to them in verse 4, after in the pride of their heart, they said, who can bring us down? In verse 4, God said, I will bring you down. In verse 5, he said, it will be a total ruin so that the thieves come in to, to, to loot. There won't be anything left for them to loot. It will be so so. To total that, 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 that the, the harvest, the, the grapes, there won't even be any seeds that fall to the ground to grow more grapes. It'll be barren. In verse 7, all of those nations, those political alliances you trust in, they will betray you. They'll turn on you. In verse 15, look at it. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations, plural, as you have done, what? It will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. 
You jump ahead almost three centuries because sometimes the judgment of God is slow as he gives men and nations time to repent. But it's always certain. And so you jump ahead from the year 850 B.C., the time of Obadiah, to 587 B.C., and the Babylonians come in and conquer Jerusalem. And again, the people of Edom rejoiced and were in an alliance with Babylon and helped them. But a few years after Babylon conquered Jerusalem, do you know what Babylon did to Edom? Destroyed it. And from then till today, Edom is a desert land where tourists go to see the relics of the Indiana Jones movie. In fact, people in the West did not know Petra, Sela, the capital, even existed until the 1800s when a Swiss explorer stumbled upon it. I don't know the future. Never claimed to. I don't know the future of our nation. Don't claim to. I don't know what God's going to do in America. I don't know if America will exist in 100 years, 200 years, 500 years. I don't know. What I do know is that any people, any nation that says, God, we don't want you unless it's on our terms. What I do know is that any nation, no matter its heritage, that says there's no place at the table for the people of God who believe the Word of God will not be under the favor of God. And what shape that takes, I don't know. But for God to remove his hand of favor and for God to place upon us, whether it's passively or actively, his hand of judgment is a terrible thought. But that's where we are unless we repent. Fifteen years ago, the day after 9-11, on the CBS early show, and by the way, there's some things on the Internet that are untrue about this, so don't believe everything you all read on the Internet. Please, please be wiser than that. Jane Clayson interviewed Ann Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter. And in a series of questions, she asked, I've heard people say, those who are religious and those who are not, if God is good, how could God let this happen? To that you say, and Lot's response was, I say God is also angry when he sees something like this. The 9-11 attacks, and she was right. But then she went on to say, I would say also for several years now, Americans, in a sense, have shaken their fist at God and said, God, we want you out of our schools, our government, our business. We want you out of our marketplace. And God is a gentleman. He's just quietly backed out of our national and political life, our public life, removing his hand of blessing and protection. 
Do you understand that Romans 1 teaches that the judgment of God can sometimes be passive and that he gives us up to sin, that if we want to travel a certain direction, he will say, go that way and deal with the consequences. It isn't that God always actively chooses to judge and to punish. It's that God sometimes chooses to let us get what we deserve. And maybe, can I just say this? And if you get mad, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it anyway. Maybe this election, God's given us what we deserve. And I'm referring to both candidates. Just maybe God says, if you want to go that way, live that way, be like that, all right, I'll let you. Lots continue. We need to turn to God, first of all, and say, God, we're sorry. We've treated you this way. And we invite you now to come into our national life. We put our trust in you. See, I know we're a pluralistic nation. But brothers and sisters, tolerance also means there's a place for people who who believe in Jesus Christ and his word if a nation wants the favor of God to be on it. And what about us? If we're the people of God, live like it. Stop playing church. Be part of the solution, not the problem. Love people. Be nice to people. Pray for them. Tell them about Jesus and invite them to church. Have faith, be bold, don't cower in a corner like a coward. Wear the name Jesus with confidence and gladness. Because what America needs is for the people of God to actually live like the people of God. So what's God saying to you? Because if you leave, you're just saying America's in trouble. That's not enough. You need to leave. You're determined to pray. Determined to live a godly life. Determined to do evangelism and witness. That's one of the reasons we're doing this Oyakos evangelism process. If you're not going to influence the people you already know for Jesus, who are you going to influence for Jesus? Huh? See, we change this nation one heart at a time. God's put us here to let people know there's a God who loves them, but a God to whom they're also accountable. Let's stand.